asks Peter, who do you say I am? You may know this, this story. And Peter replies to him, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He tells, uh, he declares Jesus's identity. And Luke records for us, not long after that, that Jesus sets his face for Jerusalem. He's up in the north uh, and basically from the end of chapter 9 through to uh, I think it's chapter 18 or 19, uh, Jesus is on the way. He's on a journey coming to Jerusalem and he teaches about the life of discipleship. The focus around those 10 chapters or so that are there is all about how to live each day for Christ. And that's obviously uh, acutely important for us as a church because we've declared that our mission is to be and make disciples. And if Jesus is teaching about what that means, it's obviously important. Yes? Okay. And for us individually, Jesus is not here talking about uh, some random spiritual ideas. He's dealing with things that are intensely practical, that have Uh, repercussions in our everyday lives and I hope as you work through chapters 12 and 13 with me over the next six or so weeks you'll see just how practical these are and maybe this morning you're with us and you're visiting amongst us and you're someone who is yet to put your faith uh, in the Lord Jesus can I say the questions that Jesus deals with are the same questions I guarantee that you are dealing with the same questions that our culture as a whole is actually asking and so you have an opportunity not only to hear a Christian answer but to weigh up whether your answers actually uh, have the strength that what Jesus uh, offers. This morning we're talking about the topic of fear. Now I've been doing a bit of reading on fear. It's an exciting uh, thing to read. Uh, I read a book recently called How Fear Works. Uh, It's a parenting strategy, I think it was. Um, That was a joke, by the way. (laughs) No. But we have a society, and the guy who wrote this book, he, he makes the point that we as a society are more afraid than ever. That we, even though we are more secure than ever, we are more afraid than ever. And I thought, oh, look, I'm going to test this out. So I just Googled fear in the website of the Australian newspaper yesterday and came up with this beautiful one. Hopes for a bright new future border on the delusional. Great. Uh, There are good reasons for Australia to fear tomorrow. That's today. Uh, No matter which side of politics wins today's elections. We're being told it doesn't matter who you barracked for, you should be afraid. And we see it, it comes out in the political campaign that we had. We had health scares, we had economic scares, we had climate scares. You got scared of political leanings to the left and to the right. We're told that we should be afraid. And not just a fear of things, we're told that people are scary. No longer does do we just fear physical harm, but we actually feel psychological harm even more so. I read of a student being interviewed for a study and he said, I can protect myself from physical harm, but I can't protect protect myself from what you might say to me. And someone made the observation 
that psychological harm is only limited by your imagination. And so we have a whole generation that is growing up afraid. Afraid to open their mouth because their friends might judge them. Afraid to say something because the social media scrum might pack on. We have a society that is increasingly anxious and afraid. And it may be that with that, we're just more aware of it. But it may also be that it's more prevalent within our society. So how do we deal with fear? What does Jesus have to say about this? And it's increasingly for Christians. If you've been following the story of this man and this lady, this is Israel Folau. Uh, This was an article just the other day. Israel Folau has been sacked uh, from his job as a professional rugby player. And this was a comment in The Australian. If you're a Christian rugby player, you'd better shut up about it. That's the message from Rugby Australia boss Raylene Castle and the Wallabies coach and captain who ditched Israel Folau as if they'd never never knew the bloke. You lose your job because you speak out on your faith. And so as Christians, do we have perhaps even more reasons to fear. How do we deal with this? Well, Jesus takes us there today. Four points. They're in your notes, but I've got the lure of the crowd, the call to confess, the true friend, and standing firm as Jesus' friend. The lure of the crowd. So if you've got your Bibles there, Luke chapter 12 is a good place to be. Jesus starts... Uh, Luke gives us the scene. He says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling one another. Jesus is popular. Jesus is popular. Crowds, so many people. But why does Luke tell us that they're literally climbing on top of each other? Spend some time pondering this. What's the image that you get in the head? You get this idea of this massive crowd. They're excited for Jesus. But there is something chaotic about it. Something threatening about it. This crowd is climbing all over each other to get to him. And we see within the Gospels that it does not take very long for a crowd to become a mob. Luke 22 We read this, the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Luke records that Jesus is teaching his disciples in front of a crowd, a crowd that is very close to a mob, a crowd that has power. Do you feel that power in your life? Do you feel the crowd of social media? the crowd of your classmates, the crowd of your peer group at university or at school or at work, your colleagues? Do you fear that that crowd is somewhat uncontrollable, unpredictable? You don't know how long it will go from Hosanna to the son of David to away with him, crucify him, give us Barabbas? Do you fear the crowd? You can't escape it. We live essentially socially. One of the greatest harms you can do to someone is to lock them up in isolation for extended periods of time. Solitary confinement. Deprive them of social contact. We are essentially social. 
We belong together, but there is a fear that comes from belonging together. And Jesus speaks to what that fear can do to our hearts. He tells us that we have a problem when we want to be loved. He warns us of hypocrisy. He warns us of the danger of compromise. He warns us as followers of his that we might shape our Christian life, not around what he wants, but what about what the the crowd will tolerate, what the crowd will applaud, what the crowd will find popular. We read this. Jesus says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus warns us in the face of the crowd don't sell out and he uses a very insightful image now for those of us who aren't bakers and I would include myself in that I kind of know what yeast is but I, I don't play with it all the time some of you know yeast intimately you take a little bit and you knead it into the dough and then what what happens mysteriously somehow the whole bread it just expands it's just there it's this this amazing thing that just happens this tiny microscopic thing just penetrates everything and changes everything and jesus says hypocrisy works just like that the almost unnoticeable the little compromises the sellouts yeast hypocrisy works through the whole thing. Jesus warns us, you want to be loved, you want to play to the crowd, watch out for hypocrisy. But not only do we want to be loved, but we fear to be hated. Now, as Christians, unfortunately, it shouldn't surprise us that people don't always think we're the best. What does Jesus say to his disciples in John 15? He says, if the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It shouldn't surprise us that people oppose us, but Jesus tells us that we shouldn't give in to that fear. We don't love being hated. We don't try and bring it on. The crowd itself can be terrified, terrifying, but Jesus warns us about misplaced fear. Verse 4, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. Does that strike you as a really strange thing to say? What can these people do? They can kill the body. That's, that's not fun. But Jesus is actually saying there is someone even more powerful. There is someone who, of whom you should be even more afraid. He says, yes, the crowd, they have power. They have real power. But they have limited power. The third question that throws up for us is that when we face this opposition... We can sometimes feel that the God who tells us that he loves us doesn't. That the God who tells us that he cares for us just doesn't know what's happening as we face this opposition. And we'll get to Jesus' answers.
So we then go to the call to confess. Jesus calls us to stand firm. He gives us no wriggle room. He tells us that in the face of opposition, we are to confess his name. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, Jesus doesn't say, it's okay to deny me out there, just don't deny me privately. No, he says, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will acknowledge him before the angels of God. It's a throne room, a courtroom image where Jesus will identify himself with the one who identifies himself, herself, with Christ. But he warns us, whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Whether that's an informal trial of public opinion, whether it's like Israel Folau, a trial by social media, whether it's a peer group inquisition, You surely don't believe that, do you? Do you believe these people go to hell? Do you even believe in a hell? Do you believe in God? You feel the temptation to back down. I can remember talking to a young man who was just aghast at the idea that God would judge people. And I can remember feeling in myself this desire to say, oh, no, 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 don't worry about that. I so wanted him to see Jesus, to love Jesus, I wanted to remove this offence. I was afraid, well, not really afraid. I didn't want his disapproval. But we know what it's like to be put on that spot. When they're talking about you around campus, when you're finding the stuff on social media that is there, telling the whole world just how hateful and bigoted and terrible you are and what a blight on society you are. It's there. And Jesus says, will you publicly acknowledge me? Maybe it's the family interrogation. Or maybe it's something more official. The board of review. The work appraisal. The interview. When your faith comes into play. Jesus says in verse 11, he says, Whenever you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities... We face challenges to our allegiance, both public, formal and informal. And Jesus says, stand firm. How do we do that? How can we be true to him in face of the mob? Because the mob, the mob is terrifying, isn't it? We don't want to be hated. We love it when others love us. Jesus teaches us how to answer the challenges to our hearts look at verse two and three he answers the challenge to fit in and he says there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roof What's Jesus saying? He's saying everything is going to be revealed. Hypocrisy will be exposed. Maybe now, hypocrisy does have a way of tripping itself up, but it may not be until the end. But rest assured that the secrets that no one knows, everyone will know. 
So don't think you'll get away with it. Don't think you'll get away with it. Jesus warns us and encourages us as well. When we see others selling out to fit in. I live and work within a denomination. I've been an Anglican since birth. I was baptised into the Anglican church. I was confirmed as an Anglican. When I, was con- when I was converted, I have always attended an Anglican church. I've never been at a non-Anglican church more than once in a row. I was deaconed and priested into the Anglican church, and I have worked within the Anglican denomination for almost 20 years. And I live and work within a, con- a denomination that is compromising more and more and more to get the praise of the world. And what Jesus is saying to me, and he knows your situation as well, is he says the truth will out. Here's Ecclesiastes 12. There are other verses that say it. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing. There will be no secrets. Take heart. You know, the wonderful flip side, though, is he's saying you're not going to get away with hypocrisy. But you know those hidden deeds, the deeds that where you stood for Christ and no one else saw it, he saw it. Where you spoke for Christ and no one heard it, he heard it. And those secret things will result in praise at the end. Jesus speaks to our temptation to compromise for hypocrisy. He speaks to our fear. He says, I will show you who you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He tells us, While the mob has some power, and it's real power, while the mob can influence the present, it is God who has real power, a real power that determines eternity. Get perspective is what Jesus says. They have some power here and now. God has all power then and there as well as now. They can influence the present. God determines eternity. Jesus says, get some perspective. There's a great little book, historical book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Has anyone come across Fox's Book of Martyrs? Okay, a bit of bedtime reading for you. You can guess what it's about. Uh, it's about people who stood for Christ. And there's a story there about a, uh, an Anglican bishop under the reign of Queen Mary, who followed uh, Edward, who followed Henry VIII, and who preceded Elizabeth I. Kind of give you the the history. In the mid-1500s, and this man was on trial for his life because he would not recant his faith, his biblical faith in Christ. He was put pressure on him to turn aside, to take back his criticisms of the Roman Catholic Church, to take back uh, what he had said about Christ alone, about faith alone, about grace alone. And this is what he said. He said, life is sweet and death is bitter, but eternal life is more sweet 
an eternal death is more bitter. Gives you perspective, doesn't it? Christians have stood boldly in the face of horrendous fear because their fear, their true fear, their godly fear was in the one who determines eternity. It's a question for us. We're not really comfortable with the idea of fearing God these days, are we? We tend to want a more user-friendly God, perhaps, one that's kind of a bit cuddlier. But the fear of the Lord is throughout Scripture. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm scolding, but I wonder, and I look at myself just as much, are we perhaps too casual? We no longer meet in grand Gothic cathedrals. Here we are in the Marymount uh, Auditorium. We no longer wear all the robes and all the kind of things that gives the pomp and ceremony. We've become very casual in our style. But I wonder whether we've become very casual in our hearts. And we think, yeah, we treat God as an old friend. And he is our friend. But he is the Lord of Lords. He is the one who is sovereign over all things. He is the one who spoke creation into being. And he is the one by whose will judgment will fall. Is there not room for a reverent fear, a respect, a godly acknowledgement that we are but dust and that he alone is eternal? Jesus speaks to our hypocrisy, to our fear and our despair. That perhaps he has forgotten us, perhaps because we are suffering, God has turned away. He says this, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Now, this is the smallest coin that is available. This is like uh, the five cent piece for us. If you're old enough, you might remember the one cent piece. This is a tiny, almost worthless piece uh, of currency in their time. And these, you can buy five sparrows for two of them. These are the most insignificant. And Jesus says, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Hear that comfort. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. We should hear that, but there should be part of us that is beginning to kind of worry Because Jesus says, stand for me and I'll stand for you. And I look at myself and I think, I haven't always stood firm. Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite. And I I know I sell out in little ways every day. Big ways, less frequently, but sin's not measured by degree. I know that I've been silent when I should have spoken. I know that I've done things and said things that have denied my faith. Jesus knows this too. And yet in verse 4, he speaks to the disciples, all of whom would turn their back and run. Peter, who would deny him three times. What's he say in verse 4? He says, my friends. But We'll come back to that. 
because we should be even more terrified because he brings in verse 10. Now, as a preacher, I'm terrified about verse 10 just because trying to explain it to you. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. There should be a point where we're going, what is he talking about here? What is he talking about here? And there is much ink that has been spilt on this one. And I have all of about a minute to explain it to you. Isn't that wonderful? Let me tell you what I think this means. In the context of testifying to Christ, I think Jesus is saying that those who hear the testimony of the dying and rising Christ after his death and resurrection... Those who feel the conviction of the spirit on sin and turn away from the gospel. They cannot be forgiven. Another way of saying is there is one name under heaven by which people can be saved. Christ Jesus. What Jesus is talking about here is rescuing is is turning away the only rescue boat on the ocean. There are no other ways. And Jesus is saying, if you resist the testimony of the Spirit to the gospel of grace and the salvation that is offered there, there are no other options. There are no other options. But Jesus warns us that we are to stand firm. How do we do this? We don't. He does. Jesus speaks to us as his friends. We sang recently at Easter a great hymn, a hymn that I love because of just a couple of lines, and I want to share them with you. You may remember singing them. We sang, this is my friend, my friend indeed, who at my need his life did spend. Jesus knew to whom he was speaking. He knew the 12 and he knows me and he knows you. And when it came time to testify, he stood for us. He not just stood by us, he stood for us. The temptation came to deny us before the crowd, to deny us before the throne of heaven and to say, it is their sin, let them pay. But Christ did not speak. And the punishment that we deserved fell upon him. He was denied by heaven. Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And earth. We have no king but Caesar. Why? So we could be accepted. This is our friend. Our friend indeed who at our need his life did spend. This friend stood in our place and acknowledged us even though it cost him everything. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. The son is our friend, which brings us into the father's love. So Jesus speaks of his father's love, undeserved by us, totally deserved by him. 
but because he is our friend, he is our brother. We are loved by the Father. The very hairs on our head is counted. The sparrows, we are worth more than many, many sparrows. And not only are we loved by the Father and befriended by the Son, the Spirit is at work in us. Verse 11, he does not leave us alone. He promises us that when we're brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, when the family gang up on us, when the friends turn on us, when the social media posts are there, Jesus says, do not worry about how you will defend yourself. What you will say, what you will say, the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Ultimately, we are called to stand as Jesus' friend because he is our friend first. So how do we do this? How do we do this? I love memorizing scripture. I don't do it as often as I should, but I have key verses that I've committed to heart. Romans 8. You could memorize the entire chapter of Romans 8. It would be worth doing. But Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, how does it end? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who is it that condemns? No one. We have testimony again and again and again. Though they accuse us, God's verdict stands. What shall separate us from the love of Christ Jesus? Shall hate? Shall opposition? Shall the sword? Shall derision and scorn? No. I believe in all these things we are more than conquerors. Romans 8. I can remember learning with my family, Psalm 56 verses 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in God. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust. And I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? We used to laugh. Yes, Karen's laughing. We used to say, what can mere myrtles do to us? Like the trees hate us. Um, But the funny little tag just brought it home. Taking back upon ourselves God's promises. He who is for us is stronger than the world that is against us. Do not fear them. Fear him, and he is our friend. He is our father. Isaiah 49, verse 15, another one you could learn. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast or have no compassion upon the child she is born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. That is what God says. Brothers and sisters, we have a friend who not only stands by us, but stood for us. And by his grace, we can stand. 
And so we should take every opportunity to rejoice in that grace. We've just shared the Lord's Supper. Don't come to the Lord's Supper just as something that you do. But this is bread and wine that reminds us of our friend laying himself down for us. As we sing, as we have, as we will, songs of praise to God for his grace, his power, his glory, his mercy. We need to remind ourselves that ultimately it's not our grit, it's not our strength, it's his. And as we stand in his strength, as his spirit works in us, as we rest in his grace, so we will stand. Ridley and Latimer were two other Anglican bishops who died around the same time as Bishop John Hooper. Chained to the stake, I've forgotten whether it was Ridley that said to Latimer or the other way around. One said to the other, play the man, Mr. Ridley, I think it is, Latimer must have said it. And today, by God's grace, we will light such a candle that will never be put out. As we stand, as we testify, God is at work and God will use us to draw others to himself. We need not be afraid. In Christ, our future is secure. We merely need to claim what is already ours. We need to live in what is already ours. We need to trust that the one who promises is faithful. And we need to keep God firmly in his place. When the fear of man, the fear of others comes up before us, we need to remember that the one who is for us is stronger than the ones who are against us. And there is nothing. No sparrow drops to the ground apart from his will. And there is nothing that can separate us from his love. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible word that you have given us. What a phenomenal promise that Christ makes. He calls us to stand and it seems such a big thing. Such an impossible thing for frail people like us. But Father, he stood for us. He stood in our place, bearing our sins. He did not deny us. And in his acceptance, Father, we know that we are accepted. And if you are for us, who can be against us? Father, we are sorry for the times where we have given in to weakness, where we have trusted in our own strength, where we have tried to stand by our own power. Lord, give us such a sense of your grace towards us in Christ that when we face opposition, and we will, give us such a sense of your majesty and power so when we, those come against us in power, we see them in their places. Father, help us. Help us to stand firm. Trusting in the one who stood for us. 
And in his name we pray. Amen.